So let me welcome you all, especially those of you who are guests or who are here for the first time. Uh, you may not know, but we are taking the 13 weeks of summer to go through the five books of First John. Thank you. I'm going to try it without. My grandmother would be embarrassed if I preach with a hat, but the sun may cause me to need it, so uh, bear with me. We're going through First John in over 13 weeks because we want to know what John says. He has some very important things to say. We're also taking this time to help understand how to study the Bible. So if you don't have one, uh, please note we've got some Bibles up here. We've got a few over there. They are yours to take. Hint, uh, if you get the blue one, it's the big print. So for those of us who've gone to uh, two or three different kinds of lenses, uh, I highly recommend it. But please grab a pencil. Uh, we're going to be marking up our Bibles. Remember, it's not the paper that's holy. It's, it's the words that are in it. So uh, this is one of those things that has been a challenge for me because I was taught in kindergarten, you never write in books. And nobody ever told me that's, that, that's not a rule for everybody or every book. So I've been doing it. I hope you have too. Another challenge we've given ourselves is to memorize the first chapter of First John, all 10 verses. Now, we are six weeks in. So that's about the halfway point. So if you're following along, you should have the first five verses memorized. If you are ahead of that, fantastic. If you're there, great. If you haven't quite gotten there yet, you've got time to catch up. Uh, and don't, don't just let this opportunity pass you by. We want to make sure that we're ingesting the Word of God, that it's part of who we are. And memorizing Scripture is a great way to make sure that happens. So don't give up. I know you can do it. This morning, John's going to be talking about identifying family, not biological family, but the family of God. He's, he's going to tell us what some of the marks are that we can use to delineate who truly is in the family of God. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that you know, John says people are waiting for an antichrist, and that's kind of wrong because there are a lot of antichrists already around, uh, and their job is to confuse us and mislead us. So John is trying to help us out by helping us understand how we can avoid being confused about who is a member of the family of God. I, I, I want to make a disclaimer here. We are going to get to a couple of verses that might be a little challenging. We're going to read some stuff, and if we read it the wrong way, the hairs on the back of your neck are going to go up, and you're going to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That can't be right. Well, John says it. It is. But we can't just take those verses by themselves. We have to take them in the context that John is giving them and in the context of Scripture. So if we get to a part where you're like, whoa, whoa, hold that thought. I promise you we will cover that. Uh, in James chapter 3, James talks about the fact that those people who choose to teach are under a higher standard and will be judged more strictly. So I'm not just going to skim over it. We're going to go over it. I want to make sure that we understand exactly what John is saying. So now that you're all going like, well, what's he going to say? Let's go ahead and read it together. We're in John chapter 2. We're going to finish out that chapter, starting at verse 28. And we're going to move through chapter 3, verse 10. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be 
has not yet been made known. But we know that when, we see, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is righteous, just the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, everybody's still here. That's good. All right. So John basically is going through uh, four kind of thoughts here. The first one is that when you become a Christian, you become what God calls, or what John calls being born of God. And to be born of God means that you've been born into God's family, and now you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you will imitate your father by doing what's right, and therefore, to know who isn't, who isn't a part of God's family, we look to see whether someone is showing the love and obedience or whether they continue in sin. This, this phrase that John uses, being born of God, uh, John really likes that phrase. Um, and I think there's a, a reason to like it. There, there's a lot of good stuff kind of packed into that one little phrase, born of God. Um, if you are reading along, go ahead and circle the word born in verse 29 and then circle it twice more in chapter 3, verse 9. And some of you may know that John uses the same phrase in his gospel. In John 3, chapter three, or ch John 3, verse 3, he says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So in 1 John, next to where you've circled the word born, Go ahead and write John 3, verse 3, so you can see the connection there. So, being born of God starts with confessing that Jesus is indeed the Christ and Lord of all. Uh, John later on is going to say in chapter 5 of 1 John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So, this born of God phrase, it, it's really got a lot inside of it. I mean, first of all, when you're born... It's the first time you open your eyes. It's the first time you take a breath. And being born of God is that realization. You, you, you're awake to your sin. You understand the impact of it and how you need to repent. But you also open your eyes to the fact that God loves you and he offers you forgiveness. Another reason that birth is really neat is because it's a beginning point. I mean, if you think about it, you probably know somebody who thought, hey, you know, I got saved. I'm done. And if you think about got saved, yeah, maybe that sounds like an ending, but that's not the way God sees it. It's a birth. And when we think about being born, it's a beginning. 
you start a brand new life and you keep going to the end of your life. It's a journey that begins when you're born. We have a lot of other events that we celebrate that, that kind of do the same thing, right? I mean, if you think about a marriage, a marriage is a great event. Love going to a wedding, right? But that's not the end. That's the beginning. That wedding is a beginning of a, a, a marriage that lasts. If you think about, you know, my daughter's looking at colleges now. When she gets an offer from a school, that's a great event, right? But that's not the end. That's the beginning of that journey through college and her finishing up her education. You could even think about uh, maybe if you got a job offer, right? That's a great event. Hey, I got a, I got a job offer. Yay! But that's not the end, right? Your boss wants you to know that's the beginning. You're going to keep working there. That's the start. So when we talk about being born of God, that's a beginning. It's a lifelong process. You're going to keep going and keep spiritually growing. You don't want to stop there. You want to start there. And being born of God also kind of exemplifies a change, right? Before you're born, you're fat, dumb, and happy. You're safe. You're warm, you're getting fed, you get taken everywhere you need to go. Life is good. When you're born, there's this brand new thing that happens. You change. You start becoming an independent person. You start growing a personality. You start all these things that are changing in you. And that's what should happen when you're saved, right? When you are born again, there's a change that happens and it's going to continue to happen. In verse 1 of chapter 3, John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Underline the phrase, children of God. Here John is practically jumping off the page with amazement that this could actually be true, right? I mean, here's the God who spoke the universe into existence. Forget that. God spoke existence into existence. And somehow, you and I, part of his creation, get the invite to become part of his family. Not just his creation, his family. And it's not a nickname. It's not a title. It's a real thing. Uh, I used to go to church where we would end every service by singing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint Heirs with Jesus, as I travel this sod, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Have you ever stopped to consider the full impact of being joint heirs with Jesus? You can't do that with just a nickname. You've got to be in the family. That's an amazing thing. And John, in the next couple of verses, explains some of the results of being children of God. Uh, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 3. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we have, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The first result of being a child of God is that the world doesn't know us. 
You know, this happens because the world can't fully recognize God. It doesn't take God seriously. You know, John says it this way in his gospel when he talks about what happened to Jesus. Uh, back in John 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So just like the world didn't recognize Jesus, so too the world will not fully recognize us. The world is not fully aware of God. They're not fully aware of their sin. They're not fully aware of the reality of all of this. The second result is this. When Christ appears, we will be made like him. Go ahead and underline, we shall be like him. Now, this is pretty amazing, right? We're going to be like Jesus. What does that mean? Even John says, we don't fully know. You know, John says, what, will be, what we will be has not been made known. So when Jesus returns to set up the new heavens and the new earth, we get to see Jesus face to face. And everybody who's born of God will be transformed to be like him. So if you imagine one day you're going to stare into Jesus' face and get to see him for who he truly is, Lord, Master, through him all things were made. And we get to be transformed. It's going to affect us. We're going to be like him. But the transformation doesn't start then. Remember, being born is a start of something. So we need to start becoming like him now. You know, John in verse 3 talks about purifying ourselves. You know, we want to purify ourselves to encounter God's presence. We need to start dealing with sin now. We want to do this to show reverence to God. God is all holy, and sin doesn't have a place in his presence. So if we're his children, then we should think to ourselves, we don't want sin to have a place in our presence either. We need to start working on our sin so that we can be in his presence. It's another way to think about it. If you just think, like, I can go on like I am, you know, before I met Jesus. And I don't really like that holiness and that purity stuff. How much are you going to like living in heaven when it's all in the presence of the one who is holiness and purity? You want, you want to start adapting to that now. So how do we do that? Well, let's talk about living as children of God. In verses 4 through 9, John begins talking more about sin. And remember, he defines sin as lawlessness. Verses 4 through 6, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Go ahead and circle the phrase, sin is lawlessness. Now, understanding that sin is lawlessness is crucial to understanding this passage. The Greek word for lawlessness is anomia. It's a much deeper concept than just disobeying a law, but that's included. When John uses this word, he's using it to describe a lifestyle or attitude of living a sinful life, a life that pays no heed to any sense of right or wrong. A lawless life, as you can probably figure out, is incompatible with the life that Jesus has to give us. Okay, so we want to be really, really careful with this text. 
very easy to misunderstand. So John says, no one who keeps on sinning or continues to sin. He's not saying Christians are incapable of sinning. Okay? Hold on, we're going to dig into this deeper. But understand that some other translations in place of this use the phrase practice sinning. No one goes on practicing sin. Okay? So keep that thought in your mind. We're, we're going to get into that a little deeper here. But remember that Jesus was sinless. He was the only one. And he came to conquer sin and get rid of the power of sin in our lives. So in verses 7 and 8, John says that living a life of sin or living a life of righteousness is the primary way to distinguish between who's a child of the devil and who's a child of God. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So John's setting up a clear dichotomy here, right? You've got two different families. The family of God, who does what's right, and the family of the devil are those who keep on sinning. Those who continually sin reveal themselves as not born of God because they're, not, they're resembling their true family heritage. Verse 9 has John summarizing his main point, explaining that those who are born of God will resemble their true family by living a lifestyle away from sin because they remain or abide in God. John says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Satan wants you to read this verse and hear, you know, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I gave my life to God, but I, I keep sinning. So obviously I'm not. Satan's the father of lies, right? Don't hear that because you struggle, you're not a Christian. That's not what John is saying. Satan wants you to think that every time you mess up, every time you fall, every time you stumble, that you're disqualified, that you can't hack it. You're not good enough to be a Christian. Here's the good news. None of us are good enough to be a Christian, right? We can't do it on our own. We don't have the power in us. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to pay the ultimate price and sacrifice himself for us is because we can't eliminate sin on our own. So what does this mean then? So remember I said another translation uses the phrase practice sinning. Let's think about what practice means. If you are uh, an athlete or if you're a musician or any number of other skills, and you want to hone that skill to the best of your ability, what do you do? This is the interactive part here. You practice, right. Look at that, that's awesome. You practice. Now, let's say you're a professional. You're a professional musician. You're a professional uh, athlete. You can see I'm familiar with that. Does a professional athlete drop the ball every once in a while? Sure. Can a professional musician hit a sour note every once in a while? Absolutely. Does that mean they're not a professional anymore? No. 
All that means is they need to keep practicing because they're not perfect. That's what John is talking about here. What is the thing that you practice? What is it that you do on a daily basis? Is it that you've decided this Christian life thing is too hard? So, you know, I'm okay with sin. I'm okay with doing things that the Bible says are wrong. I'm good with that because it's just too hard. I'm not even going to try. John would say that tells you which family you're in. But if you've given your life to Jesus, if you said, I don't want to be in control anymore, God, you take over. And you earnestly want to get rid of sin and still find it occurring, that doesn't disqualify you. All that says is you got to keep on practicing. You've got to keep on practicing. Now, I, I will say this. If you practice once a week, let's say, oh, I don't know, Sunday morning, are you going to get better? I can tell you there's a difference when my daughter practices multiple days a week versus when she just practices once. Let's say you're a professional and you only get together with the team eh, once a week. Are you going to get better? Or should you find more times to be with others who are practicing the same thing? Do professional athletes only practice when the coach calls practice? Or do they go work out on their own? Do they find a coach, physical therapist, somebody to throw the ball with? When you're serious about it, you're practicing all the time. It is a habit. It is a lifestyle. It is the way you walk. John would tell you that if the way you walk looks like you're practicing and you are getting together with others and you are asking uh, an accountability partner to keep you accountable when you find that thing that you're struggling with, you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you get better because you failed yesterday and you don't want to do that anymore and you're sick and tired of coming to God saying, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to ask for forgiveness again because I screwed up again. If that's what you're doing, then you're showing that you're part of God's family because it's your practice. It is the way you walk. It is what you are trying to do earnestly, intentionally. So what John's really saying here is that true Christians do not and cannot continue in an ongoing lifestyle or attitude opposed to God. It doesn't mean you're never sin or disobey God again. It means that those who are truly part of God's family do not live in continual disobedience to God. They're constantly growing in grace and holiness until Christ comes again. I, when the outline was given to me, there were several people uh, as biblical examples in there, and I could go through them. But when I read this, what I think of is Paul. I think of Paul. You remember Paul, guy who wrote half the New Testament? Paul says in Romans 7 that he knows the difference between right and wrong. But yet, he still finds himself doing the stuff he knows is wrong that he doesn't want to do. 
and he finds himself not doing the right stuff that he knows he should be doing. After his conversion, Paul spent his life writing letters to Christians, planning churches, and helping disciples to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If Paul is going to have struggles with this, who am I to think that I won't? Just because you struggle doesn't disqualify you. Please do not walk away thinking, yeah, I sinned. I guess I'm not a Christian. That's not what John is saying. That's what Satan wants you to hear. But please don't, don't take that away. Take away that I need to be practicing. I need to be intentional in trying to be more like Jesus. I need the help of my brothers and sisters at church. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need to be reading God's word. I need to be doing everything I can as often as I can to look more and more like Jesus because that's the family I'm in. And then John ends with a primary example of what it means for children of God to, to do right. He says they're known by their love. In 1 John 3, verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now remember, we're not talking about your earthly siblings. We're talking about the family of God loving your brothers and sisters. And we're actually going to unpack that a little bit more next week. So come back for uh, part two there, which is actually part seven. So what's John's main point in this passage? Here's what he wants us to know. John wants us to know how to distinguish those who are truly born of God, and he wants us to know how to identify whether we're part of that family as well. So the key question to ask yourself is, does your lifestyle reflect your true father, your true family? Does your lifestyle reflect that you're a child of God? If it does, then you'll be continually and constantly seeking to grow in love and intentionally seeking to remove sin in all of its forms in your life. So you need to ask yourself, are you taking on the characteristics and qualities of Jesus? One day when he appears, all of his family will be fully transformed into his likeness, but that doesn't mean that we sit around now and just wait for that to happen. We need to purify ourselves and work on our daily walk so that we can look like the family we're in. To be born of God means you really are a child of God. Embrace it. Live like one. Embrace his love for you today and intentionally seek to be someone who puts the sin in your life to death while simultaneously putting on a lifestyle of obedience to God and putting on a lifestyle of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are overwhelmed with the thought that you would invite us into your family. God, we pray that as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, that we look like we're part of your family, that we sound like we're part of your family, that we're doing the things that make other people sit up and take notice, that we're not normal. We're different. And we want those conversations to happen so that we can tell them why we're different and how wonderful it is to be in your family. Father God, I pray that, uh, that as we read your word, we're careful and clear to understand exactly what you're saying 
so that we can incorporate it into our lives and look more and more like Jesus. Father God, it is in his precious, matchless, and powerful name that we pray.